0: He's got nice rotation going and a little translation. Right now he's shooting a little bit below the banjo. He's uh, got about half of his rotation about halfway there. He's uh, going to be uh, in attitude before he gets to the banjo, which is uh, no problem at all. Nice by body attitude. His feet are just passing uh, about five inches above the uh, food lockers. Coming
1: up with the banjo. Four Rooms Earth View. Sounds far-fetched at the moment, doesn't it? But you know, we may be seeing ads like this in the not-too-distant future. In fact, there's the equivalent of a small bungalow out there in space right now that's empty and available with a beautiful view of Earth. Skylab, a bungalow that has already had nine tenants. It's up there right now. Maybe you'd like to be the next tenant. Four rooms, beautiful Earth view. See Skylab
0: lifting off the pad now, moving up.
1: Skylab has cleared the
0: tower.
1: Welcome to voice print identification.
2: 2001. A space pod. I'm Wes. I'm Fred.
0: You are cleared through voice print
1: identification.
3: Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Mr. Scherer and the Naval Research Lab were involved with three of the cameras in Skylab, two of which were on the Apollo Telescope mount, one of which was actually operated via a compartment inside the astronaut's telescope. These would be the multi-spectral camera on the Apollo Telescope mount and the UV spectrograph This is a special Kodak film for that which he talked about and these were intended
2: to try to unlock some of the secrets of the sun's uh, patterns of ejecting these charged ionic particles through our solar system and how that it possibly could be predicted or taking measurements to see whether certain ones would directly affect our technology, and come through our electromagnetic
3: protective barrier. We didn't have a lot of data beforehand. This was the first time, not only for capturing a lot of this data and learning a lot of the information we now take for granted, but also the first time that anyone ever observed, much less recorded, scientific information about a solar flare in space. Mm. He was awarded a citation for their unprecedented discoveries in solar phenomena, in solar energy and flares.
1: When people think of astronauts, they usually visualize
3: them as high-ranking
1: military officers and daring test pilots, forgetting that some are also scientists with advanced degrees in physics, electrical and aeronautical engineering, and medicine. The value of men in space as true scientific partners in space science research is most evident in the solar studies program because that allowed photographic film to be used, resulting in spectacular photographs being returned to Earth. Pictures such as this can only be made from space above the Earth's atmosphere with a special instrument, a spectroheliograph. Notice the comparison of the size of Earth with the large eruption of the sun's atmosphere. Other wavelengths were used to help follow changes in the sun apparent when this photograph was analyzed. Such x-ray photos permitted further coronal study, unveiling faces of the Sun never before seen by Earth-bound observers, giving radically new knowledge of the Sun and ways it may affect the Earth. Solar studies and stellar astronomy were features of all three Skylab missions, and this solar flare, photographed on the third mission, was the most spectacular ever recorded radiating more energy than has been used by man since the beginning of civilization the sun has no energy crisis it puts out the entire annual world energy demand thousands of times each second
2: this is coming hot off the heels of a very successful series of apollo missions for nasa at this point USA has created kind of the preeminent task force for creating missions for low Earth orbit, for lunar missions, and potentially uh, interplanetary missions from the way they were talking at the early stages of Skylab, which is very interesting. So I think what's fascinating is even though we were able to beat the Russian space attempts at creating a lunar mission, they did beat us in creating an orbital station mm. and had the first manned station in low Earth orbit. Not that they were as sustainable or nearly as advanced in, in what kind of experiments and capabilities the craft had, mm. but do you think Skylab was kind of an answer to those first early
3: Russian missions in LEO? I think it was more of a response in the traditional hip-hop feud sense. Throwing-down response. It's it's not an equal response. It is one-upping. It is, oh, yeah, well, what about this? How about we just have an entire floating laboratory? <laughs> exactly. Did it- you see that movie a few years ago? They called it The Ultimate Trip. I think we should take one. Because, <laughs> I mean, the only point of reference they had... We're sitting in Clavius, mm-hmm. and of course the discovery, and Space Station Five, and the Orion. That's in sci-fi terms, but that's what they were thinking, because they're they're making this up as they go along, right. as a certain fedoraed man would say. <laughs> but aren't they? Like they're making this up as they go along. This is this is the period of throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks. It was only less than ten when when they're building all this stuff. 10 years since jfk had had laid out the lunar challenge Mm -hmm. so everything up at this point to get them where they were was okay if you think of it try it out if it fails who cares we've narrowed it down but if it succeeds who knows it may be completely out of left field but it may be just the right answer and why don't we have a cupola what would that look cool no, it's a great observation area. It's, it's not just for architecture. Any, cupolas, not just for architecture anymore.
2: <laughs> it's the hot spot on the ISS. Almost Literally. Almost every astronaut. <laughs> no solar shield. <laughs> they they uh, usually, you know, they'll get asked at some point, what do you do in your free time? You know, do you watch movies, whatever, whatever. Almost all of them will say, spend
3: time in the cupola and kind of watch Earth and take photos. read a book, right? Oh, my goodness. That's what everybody did. Like, they had movies. They had Skidoo. They didn't watch it, but they did read some checkoffs.
2: (laughs) Yeah, what a backdrop. And I just couldn't imagine being able to be comfortable
3: in every position
2: reading a book. Yeah. (laughs) how amazing.
3: <laughs> and check out on the articles and resources page on the website because we've got some links posted, a lot of references that we don't have clips of because it's silent. A lot of floating doing crunches in space doing all kinds of oh amazing acrobatics.
2: I would love to do crunches and not have my back turn into sawdust afterwards. <laughs> yeah.
3: But they did, right? Cuz they were exercising like beasts, weren't they?
2: Oh yeah, and apparently not even enough cuz I think the initial crew crew two, the initial crew right <laughs> <laughs> one is none. number one of crew one is none two. two is one yes gave the great recommendation of just expanding go ahead and do another half an hour or so of workout because the zero gravity is causing so much muscle atrophy at that point and i think you know with all the experiments and added stress of repairs and maintenance it's good for the body and the mind to take the focus off of the really critical stages of your mission and reset and, and revitalize but it meant they
3: had to eat more too right the boosted their caloric intake that's what i heard uh, crew three from now is that mission three or crew three <laughs> crew three mission two uh, or crew two mission three yes or crew, crew three mission four no
2: no you're <laughs> hold on
4: <laughs> they exercise daily stressing their bodily systems to the maximum to make sure the heart, the lungs, the muscles, all the bodily processes perform together the same way in the absence of gravity. They also exercised to stay in shape. In weightlessness, with no gravity to work against, the muscles literally have it too easy. And without regular exercise, muscle tissue would soon deteriorate. A post-flight comparison showed that crewmen who had exercised most also readapted best when they returned to the gravity of Earth.
2: The second manned mission <laughs> uh, did have an increase in their caloric intake because uh, the original crew just seemed to lose so much body mass even being up there for just um, a few weeks first crew was up 28 days
3: they had the shortest by schedule i think that seems like the perfect amount of time to be in space (laughs) and 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 they were the ones who had to fix the damn thing before you know before they could do anything yeah
2: imagine just driving hours and hours and hours to get to your your beach condo so exhausted and you're ready to get settled in and Um, take care of a few things you open up the door and it is an oven 120 (laughs) degrees an oven set to broil (laughs) smells of hot metal (laughs) oh my goodness and uh, first thing you have to do is
3: basically repair the roof (laughs) yeah (laughs) roof you have to climb onto the roof while someone's holding your legs and yank the corner of a gutter to no avail yeah unfortunately
4: (laughs) But on this day, a
3: sequence of events began to cast doubt on even a first mission.
5: Of course, as soon as we could listen in on the flight director net, we realized something had happened to the lab, even though it looked like a perfect launch from where we had been observing it. The meteoroid shield ripped off about 60 seconds into the flight, and with the meteoroid shield gone, this gave us the problem of overheating in the workshop, so many different ideas in the intervening 10 days were put out as different means of being able to rig a temporary heat shield or a permanent heat shield which would allow us to salvage
1: the vehicle
2: yeah so let's talk about that for a second so the entire meteorite and heat shield was lost during um, during the launch of the station
3: which was unmanned It was launched on a saturn V rocket right and it was the final launch of this particular version
2: of the saturn five i believe what they started doing was changing out some of the modules and they were giving it a new moniker the
3: isb Kay. saturn ib okay because I, th- I had it written down as saturn one oh. somewhere because i thought it was one but it's ib and ivb okay
2: let me just make sure i'm pretty sure this is a Skylab 2 the first crew <laughs> why did you all do that <laughs> that's so confusing I wrote it down I was just like I it's crew 2 3 and 4 please don't mess
3: that up it was the, the people that made the patches apparently it was just a miscommunication <sighs> interdepartmentally and they made the patches for the oh, first crew without even thinking yeah
2: I love those mission patches the patches though. are great they're, they're fantastic oh cool it has uh, White's first EVA oh cool <laughs> CM, side hatch. Yes, side hatch. This wasn't really an EVA, it was more just like
1: leaning out the window kind <laughs> of
2: situation.
1: <laughs> During the early morning hours of May 25th, almost 10 days after the original schedule, A Saturn 1B was ready to launch an Apollo spacecraft for the first manned visit to the Skylab orbital workshop with astronauts Conrad, Kerwin, and Weitz aboard. We have launch commit and we have liftoff.
0: The clock is running and Skylab has cleared the tower. Controlling. The thrust is going all inches. Boy, is that a smooth ride. 25 seconds, pitch and roll program started. Skylab now maneuvering to its proper flight path attitude. Mark 35 seconds, one nautical mile on altitude. Given a green by range safety. Mark, 45 seconds, cabin pressure relieving, adjusting now from sea level to a space environment. Mark, 50 seconds, two nautical miles in altitude. The roll is complete, Houston. Roger, stand by for mode one, Bravo. Mark, mode one, Bravo. Roger, propellant stop as RCS command. Roger. Roger, stand by for mode one, Charlie. Mark, your mode one, Charlie. One, Charlie miles in altitude.
3: The launch escape tower now ejected. Reports Conrad is crew safety role no longer required. Saturn Five. This was the Saturn IB. Now in that launch, there was something else going on, right? Because uh, the thruster turns out ice froze in it, and then when it cracked off, they, they looked out <laughs> the window and there's the thruster floating by. Thank God it was the shape of the thruster in ice that had broken off and was floating out into space, but that freaked him out a little bit. I'm sure it's like some kind of strange metal casting phenomenon where you fill it full of sand and crack it open. So it's like they shut down number one quad. Okay, well, come to find out there was still a propellant leak in the RCS thrusters, which, you know, is a bit of a problem because it's not enough. They have to reconfigure. And then they get up there, and the first thing they have to do is repair the station itself. So the the solar shield did not deploy because this piece pinched off. During its deployment in LEO, the meteorite shield
2: sheared off, and debris from that shield actually had implanted into the mechanism that would let the solar panel unfurl. Um, so not only did they not have a heat shield anymore, one of their main
3: solar arrays was trapped. Meanwhile, it's up there frying in the sun, unshielded, while it's unmanned. And the first thing that the, the first crew has to do when they get up there is to somehow dock and then get that thing open. So you've got a very low power module
2: already. I'm sure you're working against so many different constraints um and reportedly i had heard it reached about 120 degrees within that maintenance module and mm. uh, it once um you know they were in it was imperative for them to get that heat shield deployed and what is um so fascinating about this heat shield that they brought with them which was designed by uh, jack kensler i believe excellent so they were racking their brains trying to figure out how to repair the shield and make the module habitable, they could have lost the entire station at this point due to you know, these small failures that just happened in a kind of freak accident. So what they had created was a deployable, almost parasol-like solar shield that was made from um, three layers. It was basically composite of mylar, nylon, and aluminum. And um, this would not only be lightweight and easy for the astronauts to pack and deploy, mm-hmm. the uh, combination of these would reflect a lot of the solar energy off of the station, allowing it to cool and uh, would be strong enough to resist tears and yeah. and any kind of um, strain that might be put on it. So uh, they were able to develop this and have it hand-sewn together by a seamstress whose name never ever touches the mouth of any of the presenters on these documentaries it's absolutely astounding Um, but we're going to go ahead and shout eileen baker hand stitched this triple uh hand (laughs) triple composite
3: heat shield and it was a piece of art so as mr Share was saying earlier um Pete Conrad was actually the one uh, flying the vessel at this point. It was Whites. Leaning out the window <laughs> with Joe Kerwin, who held on by his legs while he grabbed for the tether. Then when he found it, he crawled under it and used it like a strap. So you can stand up and imagine this is you know, there's like a seat belt. You can lift up to your shoulder like you're a rock like it's a rope for rock climbing. And the difficulty with
2: anti gravity at this point caused them to have to use a little bit of teamwork because as he was trying to tug on this it was just lifting him off the ground and he wasn't able to get a lot of purchase so um, i believe they in tandem one of them was holding it down at a point while the other one would pull to try to release the solar array but unfortunately they were unsuccessful there's some live footage of it with them in direct contact with uh, houston and they're trying to talk them through releasing this it's like a I guess a bar for my understanding.
0: The, front, sort of
4: stuck together. We broke that the Skylab missions were studded with obstacles that became challenges for the crews without the constant effort and ingenuity of the men on board. The spaceship would have drifted lifelessly through space. It's hopes unrealized. It's promise unfulfilled.
2: Also just a little factoid, um, this hand sewn heat shield that in a sprint to have it done in time for launch this was sewn in 10 days 10 days <laughs> unbelievable
3: oh. and to have it work so flawlessly too oh. so trying to imagine what joe Kerwin looks like while he's strapped up against the side of it like that bracing himself up against the strap with his legs does that remind you of anything this is a hint to a special theme we have coming next year. Say, maybe exiting the Leonov and heading back to Discovery oh. in 2010. Okay. Because that's pretty much when John Lithgow is freaking out, you know. <laughs> that's that's how they're getting back up. They have a, a strap that they're reeled to, and because the Discovery is spinning in Jupiter's orbit, the only way they can hang on is to just lean up against the strap once they get it hooked on. I'm right behind you, I'm
4: here, you look straight
0: ahead.
1: They'll be in full gravity before they get to the command module. The box is rising. How does it look? It's uh, covered with uh, sulfur. That's good. Structure looks sound. Astronauts Conrad and Kerwin went on their first spacewalk to repair the damage. This took three and a half hours. And it was difficult work. But man prevailed, and they were able to sever the strap and pull out the panel. Let's go, let's go, let's go. All right.
0: Got it.
3: <laughs> first we got a lot of stuff done. What a lot of medical work done. You know, this is the first time a lot of these experiments, if not most of them, had been done concurrently with the mission and not before and after like they were taking measurements with Apollo. For
4: years to come, the wealth of information returned from Skylab will be used to solve problems on Earth. Experiments in the materials processing furnace have proven that the weightlessness of space can produce materials impossible to make on Earth. The basic hardware for these experiments is this furnace that can safely maintain the high temperatures necessary to melt and weld metals into new alloys and substances. Many experiments were successfully conducted with this single piece of equipment. An intense beam of electrons is used to weld, cut, and melt metals for several different experiments. The weightless Skylab environment eliminated the problem of convection currents that sometimes prevent combining certain metals on Earth. This could lead to the formation of metals many times stronger and lighter than anything ever manufactured in Earth's gravity. This crystal was grown aboard Skylab. It's about ten times longer than any ever grown before. These Earth-grown crystals are about two millimeters long. Gravity prevents the formation of larger crystals on Earth. Larger crystals grown in space could reduce the size of electronic components and improve their reliability and efficiency. The materials processing experiments were extremely successful and may lead to entirely new products and industries. Skylab medical experiments are aimed at finding out how man functions in a weightless condition. Exercises like this are monitored carefully to see how space flight affects people differently than life on Earth
2: with the lunar missions everything was so tight with timing and i mean they just didn't have time or the room
3: or the resources yet yeah, to
2: yeah. to bring any of this kind of instrumentation and, and laboratory equipment along and uh this was going to be one of the first great opportunity for them to see how the human body and all of its very critical functions can hold up to the the microgravity and hold up to it for you know, longer spans of time
3: to see if intrasolar travel might be possible. This has paved the way for not only the International Space Station, and of course all the plans for Mars, but also the study that was done most recently with the twins, Mark and Scott Kelly. The twins study?
2: I didn't realize Scott Kelly was a twin.
3: Yeah, so Mark's in Congress, and they're both astronauts. Fascinating guys. And they discovered the kinds of entropic muscular loss being accelerated that we're talking about here in Skylab because he was up there for about a year, right? Then they studied the difference between Scott being up in space and the ISS for a year and then Mark being down here and what the effects were on Scott and and the muscle contraction was one.
2: Interesting, and they're also checking out the um, changes to the microbiome
3: that would be a big thing, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Gotta keep track of your flora. I imagine they would be okay mm. in zero G. They as basically feeding them regularly like else, <laughs> right? Right? but, but right. you don't need contact with dirt, you know? No,
2: don't. no, not necessarily. Huh. Um I wonder
3: if eventually, you know, that would be a problem. Oh right. So if you got generations up there. Yeah, or eventually are we passing down the bacteria the that we have on our... Gut life? flora might mm-hmm. become rare or yeah. we have to feed to replicate. It like an apple cider vinegar mother. Yeah. Or a big kombucha blob. Oh, no. Yeah.
2: Those things are alien-looking. S- kombucha snot? Yeah. <laughs> Especially when they get those little tendrils. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, absolutely. Fermentation's weird. <laughs>
0: We're reading you loud and clear over the vanguard for eight minutes. G-story. And you did get the twist out of the line. All complete. That's another thing we solved, and you beat us to it.
3: The commander of that first mission, Pete Conrad, was on the moon in 1969 along with Alan Bean, and Al Bean went on to command the second Skylab mission, Skylab 3. <laughs> <laughs> So, the second mission was up uh, a good bit longer. They were having so much fun and getting so much done. They requested NASA to stay another 20 days. They were up there like 50, what, 58 days or something? Yeah, I get that way Uh, on a really good
2: vacation. Just go ahead and call in to the reserve another week. Clavius base and be like, hey, uh, probably not going to be back for a little bit. So, just go ahead and burn the rest of my vacation days. Cool.
3: Last time you did that, I was, uh, <laughs> my bad. I was stuck. <laughs> I had to cancel my Howard Johnson's reservation. Oh
2: man. And they have that, uh, horrible, horrible policy where they make you eat the
3: entire. Yeah. that You can't take doggy bags home cause it's a mess if you take it on the Orion, <laughs> but they got 150% of their work done on the second mission. Amazing. Um, they were talking about Al Bean, Owen Garriott, and Jack Lausma Owen Garriott being the science officer in this case. This is when they really got to dig into some of the experiments that had been sent to them by high schoolers. So they went out, right, and an open call to high schools and middle schools to write in experiments for us to do up on the lab.
2: So many interesting-sounding ones, too. Liquid motion and zero-g hmm you know, i bet that there's had a lot of that fun
3: yeah. <laughs> especially if you're drinking the carrot juice
2: i mean those guys were having the best time ever uh, some of the video footage of them running and doing flips and crazy acrobatics yeah. things that you would never be able to do you know one-to-one gravity so <laughs> taking advantage of that
3: wonderful once-in-a-lifetime environment and who wouldn't want to stay a little longer when Dad says, "Come on, time to right. get out of the pool"? It's like, <laughs> "Come on, Dad, let us. Can we? Can we get another twenty minutes?" Yeah,
5: it's very much like uh, the sensation you get when you're skin diving or uh, uh, just floating around in the water.
6: Well, as far as working in zero gravity and moving yourself, uh, it was a delight in comparison to 1G on the surface of the earth. Once your eyes see something, then you relate to it and, and you say, whatever is above my head is up, whatever is below my feet is down. Doesn't matter whether it's the floor or the ceiling.
5: Every evening, uh, after dinner and all the work was done, we always had to take a trip or two around the water ring lockers or just go up there and free fly.
6: We uh, also found that we could have quite a bit of fun uh, doing tricks and stunts and flips and rolls that
1: weren't possible uh, here on Earth. High priority was also placed on a machine that would allow an astronaut to move freely about outside a spacecraft. Using the Skylab's upper dome area to explore this kind of flying characteristic, the astronaut uses a maneuvering unit which could shuttle him between spaceship and satellite. This will prove to be invaluable in space flights of the future. There were also 19 experiments carried out specifically for high school students. One brought other passengers aboard Skylab too: the spiders, Anita, and Arabella. This was an experiment to find out the structure of the web they would spin in the weightless state.
2: I don't know if I would be able to exist in a module in space with spiders. If they were Especially, out there
3: just floating around, and now you could if, accidentally swallow them. If while there you're was exploring. an
2: alarm system that would immediately let me personally know that they were out of their containment yeah. field and Yeah. Um uh, I think you know. they had
3: little ankle bracelets like Exactly.
2: I, I would need to have sight or at least some kind of <laughs>
3: confirmation. Yeah. yeah, that's horrifying to have floating
2: spiders in space, please. No.
3: So they were in little containers. They did have their own cages and they chose a specific type of spider to bring along and this species Makes a new web every day, so this way they were able to get all kinds of data on rebuilding this web. Small l- little spiders. Some have suggested that they didn't make it because they were too confused in the zero g to really make their web properly, and and it disoriented them. But most likely, they died with lack of food, and they weren't. You know, they're not going to bring up flies and <laughs> and pestilences just to feed the spiders. There's discussion about slicing off a little morsel of steak every once in a while to feed the spider. Wow.
0: Well, this is the home of Arabella. Elite the corner of it in which she decided to spin her web. I've got a close-up lens on here so I can't show the full box that she's in. It's actually about uh, 3 times the area shown in this view, and she selected this corner in which to spin the web that you see here. She's been spinning these webs now for a little over two weeks, almost every night. And I'm not really certain that she changes it every night.
3: And that that didn't apparently work long term because Mm. spiders don't eat snake. Didn't they have gnats? Did they have gnats? They feed them gnats? Not for the spiders. Oh, just as a I problem. Think, as a I pest. think they made it. Like they just <laughs> g- flew in, going on the ride of their left.
2: This is the Skylab Circadian Periodicity Experiment, and they had vinegar gnats.
3: Vinegar gnats.
2: That sounds oh, like an expression. Oh, wow. vinegar gnats. <clears throat> Biting midges exactly. <laughs> like what? What is that? <laughs> That's yeah, not the a thing. only
3: thing worse than than say, okay, we're going to send up some biting midgets with you boys, is saying, okay, gentlemen, uh, open up your canister of vinegar gnats. Oh, Release the noceums. Release the noceums. <laughs> oh.
2: So for this experiment, they actually had two designations for the same experiment. One of them. Specifically studying the uh Nat circadian rhythm And the other one, um Pocket Mouse Huh? Pocket Mouse Here
4: I come to save the day That means that Mighty
0: Mouse Is on the way Yes or when there is A wrong to right Mighty Mouse will Join the fight. On the
3: sea like a, Or on a rope? the land He gets situation Zero. when Bug call a pocket mouse? I don't believe so. I think this was a rodent. A mouse in your pocket or a pocket sized. I mean, what other kind of mouse is there? What, Unless uh, you have a tiny pocket. This has
2: got a Northrop Grumman stamp. Oh, interesting. Got some official. Nothing redacted yet. That's good. Oh, here we go. Pocket mouse design verification model and vinegar net design oh. verification model. It's a six mouse tubular construction. And the, then there was a, a sealed. Vinegarnat enclosure for 144 pupae with manual occlusion readout system.
3: <laughs> That's for
2: having birthdays for all the pupae. <laughs> it blows out a little bit of confetti
3: <laughs>
2: and drops a tiny cake in there. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
3: Is it to go along with the flea circus sent by Fielder? I like am Crest just. Food I, I won't truth. even be
2: surprised if the really is one. Yeah, this was a the pocket mouse thing
3: was a Northrop Grumman. Experiment. So you had six mice in your pocket. Then they all run in different directions. Is that the idea? I guess so. Or float in different directions.
2: They were going to look at the effects of the the mouse's circadian rhythm, see how it was affected by weightlessness. I'm just confused as to like, did they just put them in a sealed box and then they? Unless
3: someone forgot to take the mouse out of their pocket, and that's why the experiments Wait. were never concluded.
2: You've got to be kidding me. No, this isn't Apollo. Now, listen to this. Fee, fi, fo, fum, and phooey. (laughs) These five mice circled... (laughs) (laughs) They were traveled to the moon and circled 75 times.
3: Why weren't they made into a 3D animated movie at the dawn of modern digital polarized 3D? How's the
2: first time I'm hearing about this now? This? Wait, the mice and command module retrieved... So it was Apollo 17? Mm-hmm. Including biological experiment Canadian five mice in the in the module.
3: That's five mice. Mm-hmm. That's conspicuously absent a mouse for the Skylab mission. Mm-hmm. Like, did was that based on this, I wonder? I wonder. Did they think, well, let's just up the game Ad- and add a mouse? Add a mouse.
2: Got to add a mouse. Yeah. They pair off so easily, you got to add a mouse. Otherwise, they'll tear themselves to shreds mm. trying to win the affection of the uh, the fifth wheel, so to speak.
3: Mm. Four of the five mice survived. Really? Okay, let me guess. Let me guess. I'm going to guess Fum. It doesn't go into that kind of. It doesn't detail. tell you. It's not
2: that granular, unfortunately. And the names were unofficial, apparently, because <laughs> they
3: were named. Oh, uh, oh they were okay. Named... Well, we got to be scientific about this. These aren't their official. <laughs> Yeah, they're God given names.
2: Um, for instance, <laughs> A3326 and A3400, which is strange because why would they not be consecutive numbers?
3: <laughs>
2: right. So they must have put these mice through a like a
3: oh it's a training process yeah it's you know these are the the final 4 this is the cream five. of
2: the crop all of these mice have been in some sort of aerial you know <sighs> career for most of their lives or have seen it's just like some the, kind like of like the human <laughs> astronauts <laughs> <laughs>
3: they've seen jet combat that sort of thing it's got to be fun we always knew he was a troublemaker
1: in fact there was only one species on the planet more intelligent than dolphins and they spent a lot of their time in behavioral research laboratories conducting frighteningly elegant and subtle experiments on man the fact that man once again completely misinterpreted this relationship was entirely according to these creatures plans Early one morning, late in July, a month after the return of the first crew, Skylab 2, the second manned mission, was launched with astronauts Bean, Lausma, and Garriott
3: aboard. And the second manned crew has cleared the tower. There's some great footage of Owen Garriott giving albin a haircut, and he's got a vacuum tube up right above. got to suck up all those stray yeah. hairs.
2: Yeah, I watched him get a gentleman's cut, and it was... Quite fascinating.
3: It's so interesting, um,
2: you know, the parallels with Discovery where, you know, they knew hair and bodily upkeep was going to be an issue. So they put it in the part of the ship that had the most gravity
3: to help prevent follicles from free floating around. And that applies with ablutions as well. Oh, boy. So uh, most of the crew ended up taking sponge baths, although they did have a shower available to them. Just turns out to be a lot of work. Cumbersome. Mm-hmm. For first of its kind, though, for sure, and uh, they did like to take it every once in a while as a kind of a celebration and a novelty. Yeah, I,
2: I could see doing it maybe once every uh, couple weeks. Or well, because
3: the thing mm-hmm. is, right, you have to va- do the same thing with the vacuum, right, and just suck up all of the water droplets mm-hmm. that sprayed <laughs> well, out of the... all your water filth. <laughs> can you imagine if you had to do that in your own home Goodness every time gracious. you took a shower.
6: Personal hygiene wise, uh, it was necessary for us to perform up there about the same way it is here. We brushed our teeth, we combed our hair, we shaved, we washed. We did have a shower. We uh, found, however, that we could almost keep clean enough by using sponge baths, by washing ourselves off with a wash rag. Although we did use a shower on several occasions, and I think for future space stations, a shower would be a good idea.
2: You know, there are obviously constraints as far as the size of the module, but in the future where we have larger accommodations... Communal showers with
3: shot vacs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: During a second EVA, the astronauts installed new electrical connections outside the station. The connections were part of a gyro package, which the astronauts had brought with them on their trip up to the station. The new gyroscope replaced a faulty component used in the pointing and attitude control systems of the space station.
3: All three crews had to do spacewalks. All three of them had to use EVAs. One of the things they had to do was to retrieve the film from those cameras that Mr. Shearer helped design because, obviously, these aren't digital, but this is also just like you would have to do with any other cameras replace mm-hmm. the film. You just have to walk out into space to do it. Yeah.
2: Unfortunately, <laughs> the uh, module had plenty of Jungle gym style bars on it for you to <laughs>
3: hang on to yeah. and swing around on. <laughs> <laughs> and when you get back inside, you got the grating with those shoes. I you see know. those shoes with the little locked kind of yes. semi octagon thing. Super
2: cool, very efficient, and quite ingenious. And
3: every time you wanted to move, you just twist your foot, unlock it, yep. move to the next grate, twist it, and lock it, and hit the place. Not have to worry about getting sucked out into the
2: vacuum of the inky blackness of space. At least not today.
6: <laughs> the Earth Resources a Multispectral Camera consists of a battery of six cameras all pointed at the same place on the ground. Now, through using suitable filters on the front of these cameras and putting different kinds of film in there, some susceptible to visible light, some that'll measure uh, infrared light, some that'll measure other frequencies of light, you're able to record what is being radiated from the ground in these different frequency ranges.
5: There's been a lot of significant data gathered in the area of determination of faults. The Southern California area, of course, has been troubled with earthquakes for many, many years and uh, we're just beginning to really understand the fault structure in that area. We also have got some excellent photography of the fault structure as it extends on down into Baja, California. Then over in New Zealand, we've got some of the Alpine fault and we think that uh, possibly better knowledge of the fault systems around the earth will give us a better understanding of earthquakes and we can learn to better predict
6: earthquakes you can imagine that if we had the ability to forecast weather literally millions and millions of dollars in crop savings alone would result and uh, it's just the first step of course of weather control we've been able to give them uh, three-dimensional
5: looks at cloud formations in the areas of uh, cyclones typhoons hurricanes and the like we've given them some photographic data that we think is going to answer a few questions that have never been answered date anyway on just exactly how the Earth and its atmosphere interchanges energy back and forth.
3: With the cameras and everything, they had not only film for uh, the full quality, they also were beaming back data packs as well. What I understand was that as they orbited the Earth, of course, one of their jobs was to observe the Earth as well as the sun, they would contact people in specific regions, and they had these sensors collecting uh, climate data at pretty much any point in the globe, all the different... Wasn't it things like uh, cloud cover? They were looking at precipitation stuff mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as soon as they passed over, whoever was on the ground there would flick on the signal. They would flick on the receiver in Skylab and they would take Transmit, that information. really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And... Vice versa, they would send their data packages back. Yeah.
6: Food supply is a very important factor for all of us here at home, not only in this country, but for the entire world, of course. First of all, we can survey the amount of land that is devoted to the production of these crops. Uh, We can even estimate what the yield is going to be, depending upon what its temperature and rainfall and so on is. Also, we can see where there may be areas of infestation. These instruments uh, photographed the earth in a variety of different spectral ranges, clear down into the infrared. In other words, some uh, disease like a corn blight uh, may have been started. We can see areas where the forests have had significant infestations. So this all goes together to help us put together a better pattern of the total world production of food and other things of interest to people in this country and overseas as well. We uh, took a good look at the Falkland
5: current. We could see some of the staining, uh, this plankton blooming, the little organisms that grow essentially in the deep water. And then when the water wells up from below, it brings up this green plankton. And from space, it looks like a green stain.
6: The the plankton is sort of the bread of the sea. And it starts the life cycle in the sea. And if you can track the plankton, you can track the smaller fishes, which are going to track the larger fishes, the food fishes, which are good for commercial people.
3: Uh, the other cameras that Mr. Scherer helped design, the extreme UV spectroheliograph heliograph takes photos of the sun in extreme UV wavelengths, and the hydrogen alpha takes image of the sun inside the cabin.
6: This is a multi camera consists of a battery of six cameras all pointed at the same place on the ground. Now, through using suitable filters on the front of these cameras and putting different kinds of film in there, some susceptible to visible light, some that'll measure uh, infrared light, some that'll measure other frequencies of light, you're able to record what is being radiated from the ground in these different frequency ranges
4: the skylab astronauts control the solar observatory from this panel inside the spacecraft studying the sun may provide the key to an unlimited source of pollution free energy Skylab crews have amassed hundreds of hours of solar observations including more coronal viewing than has been gained in all recorded history from Earth eclipse observations. Aboard Skylab, the Sun is unveiling faces never before seen by Earth-bound observers. Scientific textbooks will have to be rewritten because pictures like these have revealed secrets kept for billions of years by the dense, blanketing atmosphere of the Earth. This Skylab picture shows an enormous mass of energy erupting from the sun's surface and extending millions of miles into space.
3: The first recording of the birth of a solar flare All these things were photographed from orbit while they were looking at the sun and not looking at Earth. Sometimes when they were looking at Earth, they were accidentally photographing things they shouldn't be. They got into trouble with Russia and China at first Mm. for technically, you know, for so-called surveillance of sovereign territory. They worked it out before the end of the mission. But they did also accidentally photograph Area 51, and that was a bit of a stink (laughs) inside the government. (laughs) That's all declassified now, but uh, for a while it wasn't.
0: Working 12 to 16 hours a day, the men accomplished nearly twice as much scientific work as planned. The crew's most important scientific contribution may well be the mass of solar pictures and data gathered with the Apollo telescopes. Thousands of solar photos were taken and more than 100 solar flares were studied. Two exceptionally large solar flares were observed. One of them expanded to over 17 times the diameter of the Earth. Under the direction of Garriott, a solar scientist by profession, the awesome event was photographed and measured from the first minutes of eruption. In all, the astronauts took over 100,000 pictures of the sun, stars, and Earth. By mission's end, everything was working so well aboard Skylab that Commander Bean asked for a few days extension to the flight. His request was denied by Mission Control and the crew prepared to leave the orbital workshop. However, the success of the 59-day stay in space did prompt Mission Control to extend the third manned Skylab visit to an 85-day mission. The third crew was launched into Earth orbit In December 1973, as the second Skylab crew departed from the orbital workshop, they could look back with pride on their accomplishments.
3: Skylab 3 was up there for 59 days. They wanted an extension and were denied. Skylab 4, the third crew, Mm -hmm. was up there for 84 days. It was tough going at first. They got up there. These are three rookies. That's how the story goes. I mean, you don't call them rookies. These are... This is new territory for... Yeah. But yeah, they, it's still this new territory, and they're loving every minute of it. But they're a little bit overwhelmed. Thankfully, there's a little bit of humorous relief when they first get there, as they see the mannequins of the second <laughs> crew <laughs> with their spacesuits on and their name tags sitting there... Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. But the second crew had fun, too. Owen oh, Garriott had his wife, Helen, actually record a message for Mission Control on a private line while he was up there on the station and then played it back for Mission Control. Her saying, hello, Mission Control, do you read me? This is Skylab. The boys seem lonely, so I brought them a home-cooked meal. <laughs> and I had him go in there for a minute on Mission Control. Oh, wow. Control. That's the kind of thing you would love Peace to goofs. pull in. Space goofs. Love space, space goofs. goofs. There were exercise
4: routines, not in the flight plan, that belonged more to the category of fun and
3: games. Then the third crew had to go on a spacewalk to repair a malfunctioning antenna. Ed Gibson was out there for like six and a half hours, I think. I mean, even now, that's, that's a long EVA. Yeah.
1: In November, after a six-day delay to replace cracked stabilizing fins, the third Two. mission soared we along mission. with astronauts Carr, Gibson, and Poe.
4: Lift off the
1: engines building up to 1.6 Skylab 3, Skylab the longest in. of the manned space missions.
3: So they get up there, and they've got so much work to do. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's crunch. Exactly. I they have knew at this time. point that this was going to be the final manned mission, right? Mm-hmm. The deorbit was already becoming a stink. Didn't really get set off on the right foot anyway with mission control because they were really eager to get up there. And suddenly the disconnect with the public starts to happen. And now funding is in jeopardy. For future missions they're just wanting to start the shuttle program they want to put all their resources and in, into their best foot forward and they can't afford a mistake
2: wasn't the shuttle program supposed to give it an altitude boost
3: yes so mission control is like well yeah you know, we can't afford another failure of any kind and we, we're just trying to get that shuttle program so you take these i don't know if it's dramamine or whatever these sickness pills I think it was Ed Gibson's like, are you sure you want us to do this? Because do you want us staggering to the launch like zombies or something? Or, you know, do you want us alert? And I'm sorry, boys, this is the way it's got to be. So they took the pills, but then one of them ended up getting sick after the launch anyway. So they decided to... Uh, You know, they talked about it, and it's like, well, you know, it's going to cause a big stink, and then they're going to have us go through all this ridiculous protocol, and we have all this work to do anyway, so why don't we just table this discussion for later, we'll put it on the report, and then deal with it then. All well and good, they all agreed to that. Problem was, they all agreed to it with the microphone on, sending the live feed down to Mission Control, listening live, to all of this. Oops. Yeah, oops indeed. So they they, they get told off, understandably so. You know, it's all about safety, and they're... uh, Yeah, they're just trying to make sure all of this protocol was put in place
2: to keep them safe
3: exactly it's all you know we got to be honest with us boys we understand but you know we're here to keep you alive we need to know all the facts they got to working for a few weeks you know the the workload was just a lot and they never got a break and Finally, you know how it is the worst thing when your, your boss tells you to do something and then we'll hover over you the whole day telling you over and over again how to do it exactly what you're doing while you're doing it. It was getting on everybody's nerves and they weren't getting enough work done anyway. So they decided to take it in shifts. Like, okay, you listen to the microphone for six hours while the other two can get some work done and then we'll trade off. Problem was somebody forgot to turn on the mic at some point and then they reached the point in orbit where they lost communication and then it went dark for a little while. And then when they got back on, there was hell to pay. But they had a heart-to-heart. And this is where the oft-told story of a quote-unquote Skylab mutiny came from, which was complete nonsense. All the astronauts denied it. It was a complete mistake. And after they had this heart-to-heart, they they worked out the schedule, and they were able to get a lot more done, be a happier, more productive crew, and ended up getting more work done than the other two crews and stayed longer as a result so just go show a little teamwork can do. Beautiful.
2: What the hell is that?
0: It's Christmas. Need the holidays to show time is still moving.
2: It looks like they had a very nice uh, a Christmas and created a christmas tree out of the empty metal food containers oh that look at that <laughs> yeah, it looks like made a, a tinsel like material out of them and it even has a, a comet as a topper for a star. oh topper. isn't
3: that wonderful is that comet uh, it's the comet that they were supposed to kombucha kombucha comet kombucha C- Cahotek. I, I i'm probably
1: butchering that
2: pronunciation Cahotek.
1: the Skylab lab christmas in space and of course, that included the stockings, hung by a very unusual Christmas tree, painstakingly constructed out of food cans and decorated by the astronauts with a very special star on top, Comet Kahootek. And now, a Christmas message from space, showing concern for people everywhere. From
0: the Skylab Free Crew, we wish to extend to people around the world the message complete goodwill, and human
2: understanding. All these photos posted on the NASA website from this mission, they are head over heels, and which could also be possible.
3: Many times a day. Mm
2: -hmm. Now, the only really scary experiment on this one, other than the spiders, (laughs) for me, was the uh, sort of impromptu treadmill that they had put together with all the sensors and tubes. Yeah, it looked
3: really complicated for something that was supposed to be (laughs) simplified
2: and then they had to go at this thing basically until exhaustion to make sure that the human body could cope with this microgravity wow yeah yeah uh, thank you pass on that one (laughs) 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 i just want to do flips and run around
1: Meanwhile, let's go back to the comfortable environment of life in space. And speaking of comforts... The comforts of home were not neglected either, as the astronauts could enjoy weekly showers. And if they could find a foothold, wash and shave. And even prepare their own food to individual taste. No more just eating out of a tube, as on earlier space flights.
3: So please check out the documentary Searching for Skylab by Dwight Stephen Benacki. It's a great documentary. Go to searchingforskylab.com. It's on Vimeo. Uh, He also is on Twitter. He's a great follow and has been all year round with uh, some of these daily updates from the audio transcripts from 50 years ago. Here's one from yesterday from the third crew on Skylab 4. (laughs) Capcom says, Skylab, um, AOS Madrid, seven minutes. Pilot says, Roger, story. Uh, you may be interested, we're eating. We're trying this new liquid pepper. And although it's a bit difficult to use, it really tastes good on the eggs. Amazing, liquid pepper. They had to liquefy their condiments. Yeah, Because obviously, all those little particles. Yeah, it should, no, in fact, huge the, problem, sure. In, in fact, the um, previous crew had brought granulated salt and pepper which was henceforth called air pollution. Oh, no.
2: (laughs) Imagine going through a cloud of salt.
3: (laughs) With a spider floating in the middle of it. Oh,
2: no. Just just get me back in the CSM and get me back home. (laughs) Uh, Food
6: aboard Skylab was was a very good treat when compared to uh, earlier space missions. Probably the best feature was the fact that we had the ability, through a warming tray to put all of our food out and heat it so that when you sat down to eat, you could eat um, a variety of foods all at once. Probably the favorite of everybody's up there was uh, ice cream and
3: strawberries. It wasn't just the condiments that were advanced, right? It was also their food trays. I know. And this evoked
2: very much the trays from 2001. They were heated, so they could put their ration tins into these slots keep them from floating around while they warmed the probably pate like consistency of meat. <laughs> right, well,
3: they had these catering scientists working on the you know the I menu mean, Some of the meals
2: sounded pretty wild actually. And I love the expandable I guess like juice and liquid bottle delivery system. <laughs> yes, the Gucci bottle. Gucci
3: bottle. gooshy bottle. Gushy bottle. Gushy what? And they had a fridge.
2: Can't believe that.
3: <laughs> they had a shower and a fridge. this is like
2: astronauts first bachelor path absolutely
1: crewmen enjoyed space luxuries never before available even man's sleep was monitored by a cap with sensors as each astronaut bedded down vertically in a sort of sleeping bag in his individual sleep compartment or should I say stateroom
3: the added comfort of the sleeping compartments themselves Mm -hmm. which you had to keep you had to strap yourself in to keep compartmentalized right well
2: apparently once you got into this apparatus they said it was pretty close to what sleeping under you know comforter Mm -hmm. would be at home but yeah (laughs) getting in and out is the hard part to be i don't know it's like a sleeping bag that you wear in a way (laughs) (laughs) It's a Snuggie. (laughs) Space Snuggie. We're not a reverse Snuggie, but yeah, Space Snuggie. Look pretty comfy. I don't know. Probably get into it.
6: We slept in a sleeping bag-like device, which had straps across it. So once you were in the sleeping bag and all snugged up, so to speak, well, you felt very close to what you feel like in bed on
4: Earth.
3: In early February 1974, the third crew
4: retrieved for the last time the film, magnetic tape, the samples and specimens for return to Earth. The operational phase of Skylab was nearing a successful end. The ongoing science phase, fueled by the aggregate of data from all three missions, would last for the next several years. Okay, we're on dock uh, uh, I'd say goodbye for her. She's been a good bird.
3: Roger, sure has. So when it came crashing down, it, it turned out to be a news story again because First they didn't know where it was gonna no. crash and then we we'll this was trying to bring it down. Supposed manually. to safely
2: deorbit into the uh Pacific Ocean and Mostly.
3: Mostly. <laughs> they they overshot it. <laughs> <laughs> so some people in Western Australia got a pretty good eyeful. Yeah, and, and I think decks. a lot of people collected some debris and mm-hmm. Who knows where that ended Which, up? Which <laughs> the, the the debris of history. I mean, this thing we we take all this stuff for granted. Everything, we, all the modern scientific knowledge that we have is from here. Starting this is ground zero. Mm-hmm. Everything that we know. I mean, before this mission, there were scientists and doctors saying, "Why are you not going to have a breathing tube? Because you can't breathe up in space for that long." I mean, just people right. not knowing. We you know we laugh at that ignorance, but that's all it was. It was just not knowing setting the precedent for knowing the iss and of course the Mir and the, all the future long-term space stations that we have the future long-term travel yeah. but it's ground zero for it just modern nasa period long-term space flight seem
2: viable yeah um and, you know we can combat a lot of the effects the, the only thing they don't really know now are like lifelong effects of being in space so we we've achieved so much off of the backs of every single individual involved with this mission yes
3: men and women who we're still building on today because the maybe the most important contribution is the dream we dreamed these crazy dreams and then we achieved them we're putting no limits on our imagination and creativity thanks Mm -hmm. to the success of skylab thank you skylab thank you skylab happy anniversary Thank you, Mr. Sharon. Yes, thank you, thank you, Mr. Sharon. From
2: Clavia Space, this is Brad. I'm Wes, signing off.
0: Uh, One Charlie.
6: One Charlie.